Good news, everybody. It's finally gloriously, spectacularly Saturday. I'm walking through Fitzroy on the lookout for a birthday present for this afternoon's kids' party. I've left Max and the kids arguing about the layout of a train track that snakes around the kitchen floor, and I realise I haven't been outside alone for days. Everything feels bigger and louder. There are people everywhere, pop-up markets, soccer matches, children getting shoulder rides, and outside the town hall, a dog in a bandana sits happily between a bride and a groom posing for their photos beside a polished old Bentley glinting in the sun. A woman on a skateboard slides past me with a pot plant under one arm. I swear to God I picked the doggies, she says, and I realise just in time that she has Bluetooth headphones in. At the lights, two young guys waiting on the other side are doing rock, paper, scissors, breathless with laughter. One of them, wearing a pink trucker hat, is laughing so much he is melted and hopeless and the other one has to wait, giggling. They try again. One, two, three. Hat guy's rock becomes a fist and he thrusts it to the sky, running in a small circle like he's just scored a goal in a tight final. The other one slams his scissor hand into his palm, foe devastated. They walk towards me, still recovering. As they pass me, Hat Guy says, I think I'm going to eat it icing first. I am heading home with a birthday present under my arm and I am thinking of the things I love. I love bookshops and cardigans and the word cardigan and the linguistic precision of the elderly and how when you draw with a biro on a napkin it makes a soft little engraving of text that somehow makes your handwriting look better. I love how signs are sometimes confusing to your brain, like how keep clear is always written on the road as clear keep and warning, bus stopping constantly kind of sounds like the sign is rolling its eyes. Ugh, this bus is stopping constantly. I love rhubarb and pavlova and tree roots busting through footpaths and the discovery of a gum leaf in your pocket while something else is happening that you should be paying attention to. The clean sheets and the untidy mess of the Milky Way and families of ducks and peeling an apple in a single coil and you. When I get to our street, there's something happening out the front of number 100, home of my favourite couple. Haven't seen much of him lately, but she's sitting on the grass in a worn red velvet armchair, peering over huge orange sunglasses at Gail, who... Used to live in such a lovely street in Brighton. Next to them, a clothes rack displays a dozen or so dresses, they smile at me as I approach. Bella, Gail's dog, slobbers on my feet. I see. Gail is saying. So you're selling these, are you? What an enterprising idea. Tell me. She says. Do you have to have a permit? I stop still. Gail is the queen of complaining to the council. The girl from 100, though, looks delighted. Did you know you're not the first to ask me that today? She says. 
Himself up there, she says, gesturing up at our newest neighbour, Alastair, reading the paper on his tiny balcony. Marched over first thing, poor puppy. Quite insistent on the permit question. I resisted the urge, she says, removing her sunnies and polishing them with the skirt of her dress. To ask whether one requires a permit to be a buttoned-up prig in desperate need of a good old... Oh, hey, babe, she says to a young woman emerging from her house. Gail and I introduce ourselves to her, this new person, as she and the girl from 100 settle into their chairs. Girl from 100 is not a girl at all, in fact, but a woman called Frankie. Her friend is Michaela. I was just saying, says Frankie to Michaela. We had a lovely chat with the investment banker over the road, didn't we, Mix? Oh, says Gail, arching an elegant eyebrow towards his place. He's an investment banker, is he? The rest of us share a tiny look. It's not so much that he is an investment banker, explains Frankie. It's more that he embodies the genre. I'll say one thing for him, says Gail. He is rather handsome. Frankie looks nonplussed. He doesn't lack hands, she says. But what use is hands if it's entitled and rude? It's a waste of hands is what it is, says Michaela sincerely. And Gail looks at me with an amused smile because there is something about these two. Something bold and funny and reckless and uncompromising. Something that makes me hopeful and proud of them. Frankie stands up and closes in on us, lowering her voice. Hey, so what's the deal with the bird lady? There is a fact that has only become apparent to me recently. A woman who lives in the old house I had thought was abandoned. I've seen movement in recent months, the curtains opening and closing, a parcel being delivered. Whether she has recently moved in or has been there for the past couple of years without me knowing, I haven't quite figured out. A bit of a shut-in, by all accounts, says Gail. Squatting in there, I shouldn't wonder. I'm about to ask more when Frankie lifts her arm in an enthusiastic wave. We look up. Alistair has accidentally looked over the balcony, so now he has to wave. And everybody's waving. He ducks inside with a grim smile. Gail says, I'm beginning to feel a teensy bit sorry for Alistair. Frankie looks at her. Would you like an Aperol spritz? She asks. Well, that's not going to help with my to-do list now, is it? She says, her face stern but her eyes smiling. And Gail goes her way and I go my way. Frankie and Michaela chatting quietly together on the grass. On my way home, I pass the bird woman's house. And is it just me, or do I detect a slight movement in my peripheral vision? Is she in there, I wonder, looking out? Um, I was tired of walking. I kept falling off. They've been out the front this morning. I kept landing on my feet like a cat. That young woman from number 100 has definitely ditched the boyfriend. Taken up with the girl in the dress, maybe? But maybe not. None of that seems to matter. Oh, to live so lightly in the universe. But I don't need to tell you. That uppity woman from over the road is there now with the dog, Bella. 
A dopey spaniel with a drooling problem. Could become disease. Never been close enough to tell. She's talking to that one whose kids do chalk drawings on the footpath. They're all looking over at the property developer in the flash new apartments where Niels was when we were kids. Still can't figure out why the developer seems to be living in one of them. Tax incentives, probably. Anyway, that's when they talk about me. I watch it happen. Step back from the window. But I feel oddly okay. It's been better lately. I get it, you know, the household shut up, the chicken wire bird cage, me inside, hiding. Of course, people are curious. Mom? Yeah. We went to. By the time we went to Mary Poppins. When I look out again, the woman with the kids is walking directly past my window, a slight smile on her tired face. There's a pair of pliers resting in the toolbox at my feet. I got them out last time. I made an attempt to go outside in the daytime. Didn't make it that day. Taking it slowly. Outside, Bella barks. Hello, Bella, I say to her, alone in the dark house. we take the birthday present to a nearby park. The party is, as all kids' parties are, sprawling and exhausting. The highlight comes when bubbles from another child's party drift across some cricket players in an adjacent match, most of whom manfully ignore them, but one guy kicks wildly at the bubbles in his orbit solely for the amusement of the children. Squeal with delight and love him forever. The kids are pulling God knows what out of their party bags when we pull into a car park out the front of Alan's house and Max remembers we need bread for the morning. We exchange an exhausted look, each of us doing the parental maths to see who gets the solo walk and who gets to put the tired kids in the bath. Max opens the car door. Righto, kids, inside, come on. Mum's off to get bread. No, not the whiz fizz. Oh, man, how is it everywhere? Oh, my God! And I couldn't love him anymore. I need this one. My head is full of the important things I haven't done, the stupid things I shouldn't have said. It's full of the news and the future and the past and a song by Ed Sheeran. And who even is Ed Sheeran? I walk to Brunswick Street where the fun has slipped out of things. A couple is arguing outside the bottle her shoes in her hands, his voice rising dangerously. A man and a small dog sleep in the doorway of an abandoned building, people hurrying past them to catch the tram. And as though summoned by my malevolent mood, a man slinks out of a laneway and looms suddenly in front of me. It's luminous Ute guy, the neighbourhood sociopath I called the cops on, 
who has been, ever since, over-the-top friendly to me in a way that is supposed to unnerve me and does unnerve me. Nice night for it. He says, and it's really just not a nice night for anything at all. In the bakery, a sweaty man in bike gear pushes past me and barks his order, but the woman behind the counter isn't having it. She says, I think this person is next. Which we all know is shop talk for don't push in jerk face. And I'm thinking of things I don't like. I don't like that the top whatever percent owns pretty much everything, and I don't like those bloody little bits that fly off plane trees. I don't like the phrases signature scent or just saying or how the earth is being destroyed or balsamic vinegar. I don't like that thing where people say, I love her to death, but... and then categorically destroy a person's entire personality. And I don't like Brussels sprouts. I don't care if you otolengi them. I still know what they are. Nasty little balls of farty acid hate. I don't like the stomach drop that happens in elevators or the spilled couscous from three days ago that I'm still finding grains of in the strangest places or unexpected items in the bagging area and, in fact, boo to the bagging area and boo to the whole concept of a self-service area which, apart from making the customer do the work of a now-fired employee, really isn't as fun as it sounds. But as I walk and I look to the sky, I decide that Saturdays are okay. And Fitzroy is okay. And there's a lot to be said for a solitary walk through both of those things. I'm feeling a little better when I turn into our street and I see someone I haven't seen before climbing down a ladder from the top of Bird Woman's aviary. She's holding a pair of pliers. It's Bird Woman. It must be. Have I seen her before? I don't think I have. I look away, protecting us both from this breach of her privacy, but as I pass, she jumps the final two rungs of the ladder and lands right next to me on the path. Sorry. Sorry. Oh, no, sorry. sorry. No, 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 I'm so sorry, we both say. And she looks right at me, steady as you like. She is... But I don't know why it should surprise me. Shockingly beautiful. Her eyes are a Nordic blue. Her gaze is sharp and direct and sardonic and amused. And a smile spreads across her face when I stammer, I... I like your cat. There's a cat behind her on the fence. Huge, fluffy tail flagpoling proudly. She looks around. Ah, yes. She says. The captain. She says it to the cat. The captain, I ask her. Great name, I say. She looks at me. Lots of dogs called captain, she says. Down at the vet. Captains for days. How have I never met this woman before? Is that right, I ask. She nods importantly. Yep. Not a single cat, though, until... The captain. Right. Maybe dogs are just more hierarchical, I say, and I'm regretting it as I'm saying it because, God, I'm a weirdo sometimes. Perhaps. She says, and then she gestures over the road. Seen Alan lately? She asks. I look over at Alan's empty front porch. She knows Alan. Of course she does. 
I tell her I saw him yesterday. I failed to mention that I was avoiding him at the time. Haven't seen him today, she says. I mutter something about how it's a bit strange that he hasn't been out the front much, and she says... I get that. Even old Alan must get the heebie-jeebies with the world sometimes. Something about the way she says it makes me laugh. And when she leaves to go inside, we wave happily, as though the fact that we have never met is just an accident of timing. Over the road, Gail is backing her tiny car out of her back lane. She pokes her head out as I pass. Isn't it just a ridiculous day? She says. And Gail, whose tinkly wave disappears now into the car, is definitely not wrong about that. Inside, the kids squeal and bounce on a bed somewhere while Max bangs about in the kitchen. I'm still thinking about my interaction with this mysterious neighbour I've only just met, despite her living here for how long? I look out the window at her house. It looks, once more, completely deserted. There he is, though. The captain. Slinking towards the new apartment block, towards Alistair, who is for some reason, sitting on his front step. The huge, sharp, bright yellow door of his new apartment slightly open behind him. He sits perfectly still, in bare feet and a white T-shirt, his trousers rolled halfway up his calves. His head is in his hands. He seems, but I am probably projecting, to be muttering to himself. I am reminded of old Alan from over the road, who I promised myself I would check on tomorrow. But then Alistair rubs his eyes with the heels of his hands, and it isn't Alan I'm thinking of. It's Gail. I'm beginning to feel a teensy bit sorry for Alistair. And even though I can imagine Frankie from Number 100's eye-rolling response to this, there is something so crumpled about him in this moment that even the captain seems to sense it, nuzzling up to his leg. Alastair rubs the back of the cat's neck, lifting her chin and saying something into her little face. A car drives up then and they disappear for a moment. When the car pulls away, the captain is gone and Alastair stands on the road, looking down at a pizza box in his hands. I go to the kitchen and hand Max the loaf of bread. Nice walk? He asks. And it was, in the end, just what I needed. 